2: So the church has always been a singing church and every Sunday when we get together we're applying James chapter 5 verse 13 and we're not singing just to create a mood or to provide a break between the important parts of the service as some people think but singing is a form of prayer. It's also worship.
1: Well we're coming down to the last few messages in this series in the book of James from Pastor Layton Sheely of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno and uh, he'll be in the fifth chapter today and as you just heard the emphasis is going to be on prayer thanks for joining us on this uh, daily visit from pastor layton Sheely. there are a lot of things happening at church of the highlands i encourage you to check them all out on their website at highlands.us that's
2: highlands.us pastor james does not mince words he's very confrontational In the way that he preaches. And in these last uh, verses, prayer is clearly the major theme because it appears in every one of the verses between verse 13 and 18. It's not only appropriate for people who are in suffering, but uh, for people in every circumstance as well. That if you're going through difficult times, you should pray, and if you're going through uh, good times, happy times, that you should sing praises. We're going to begin our reading at verse 13 in James chapter 5. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. And so in his closing words, James here is describing... Effective prayer in its various forms, praise, intercession, confession, and he connects it with other spiritual disciplines as well, healing, confession, anointing, correction, praise, mutual forgiveness, and so forth. So he summarizes by by describing Christianity's finest work, believers that are effective in prayer. Now with that as an introduction, let's study the passage verse by verse. He writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray, and the word their suffering means misfortune. The fact of the matter is is Christians don 't live continuously on a mountaintop that all of us experience both the mountains and the valleys of life. Sometimes we go through times of trouble, and sometimes when we 're in those times of trouble it 's difficult to be joyful. and so James says that we should pray now people have various responses to trouble, some worry. Some want revenge on whoever it is that's causing the trouble. Some just let anger seethe within them. Some grumble. But what James tells us is the correct response is to pray. And it's not necessarily a prayer for deliverance from the trouble, but rather the patience and strength to endure it. Now, there are three main reasons why people oftentimes do not pray in times of trouble. It is ignorance, arrogance, and shame. If they don't know that God wants us to pray in times of trouble, then it's ignorance. They're ignorant of the scriptures. And, And if we don't pray when we're in trouble because we're trusting ourselves to get out of our trouble, then it's arrogance. And sometimes we want to pray, but we're ashamed to pray because the problem we're in is of our own making. And James here gives guidance and encouragement to those who are ignorant, urges submission to those who are arrogant, and reminds those who are ashamed that God is full of compassion and mercy. He commends prayer to all. And then he continues on, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So if we're fortunate enough to be going through that time of the mountaintop, uh, then we should thank God by singing praise. And because our praise is directed to God, singing is actually another form of prayer. The church has always been a singing church. When Pliny, the governor of Bithynia, wrote to Trajan, the Roman emperor, in AD 111, to tell them about Christians he said that they're in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it is light and when they sing in alternate verses a hymn to God, to Christ as God. So the church has always been a singing church and every Sunday when we get together we're applying James chapter 5 verse 13 and we're, and we're not singing just to create a mood or to allow people to get up and stretch or to provide a break between the important parts of the service as some people think. But singing is a form of prayer. It's also worship. It's important for us because among us, Sunday after Sunday, are people who are going through times of difficulty. And it's hard for someone going through that time to be in an attitude of wanting to sing praise. But when they see others around them, it's contagious. And we actually help each other through difficult times when we gather together to worship. We lift each other's spirits. As people go through times of difficulty they have a tendency to look towards God, but that's not necessarily the case when they're going through times that are plenteous and good and happy. Oftentimes, we forget God when things are going good for us. And what, uh, what James is telling us is if we're to live properly, if we're to pray unceasingly, then in those times of happiness, let's pray in song. And he says, "...is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church." and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so now he provides a third circumstance under which we should pray, and that being sickness. William Barclay wrote, Few communities have been so uh, devotedly attended to their sick as the early church was. Justin Martyr writes that numberless demoniacs were healed by the Christians when all other exorcists had been helpless to cure them and all drugs had been unavailing. Irenaeus, writing far down in the second century, tells us that the sick were still healed by having hands laid on them, and Tertullian, writing midway through the third century, says that no less a person than Roman uh, Emperor Alexander Severus, or Severus was healed by the anointing hands of a Christian called Torpation, and that in his gratitude he kept Torpation as a guest in his palace until the day of his death. Now this is important because if someone teaches that miraculous healings have ceased, that they have uh, disappeared, say, with the demise of the apostles or sometime, then their teaching not only contradicts "...the testimony of the early church fathers, but also the words of Jesus himself." As the Gospel of Mark draws to a a close, Mark records, "...Jesus said to them, "'Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues." They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after He would spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So according to Mark's gospel, one of the last things that Jesus said was that healing would accompany those who believe. That the same power that healed in the day of Jesus' ministry is alive and well today. And James encourages a sick person to call for the elders of the church. The term elder or presbyter was used soon after the church was established on the day of Pentecost. These were the men who were put into leadership over the local church and given responsibility for them. Uh, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in each of the churches that they established and Paul instructed Titus to appoint elders in every town in Crete. They would pray over the sick person calling upon the Lord for healing, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now the early church practiced house calls and we still do today. So pastors and elders are still performing house calls today. But the point here is, is that Uh, For the early church people, church wasn't something you did on Sunday at a certain place. It was not. It was a lifestyle. that daily they were in contact with each other. They were praying for each other and with each other that they were appealing to the power and the presence of God and experiencing healing as a daily part of life. Anointing with oil was often used by the early church in their prayers for healing. Oil was both a medicine as well as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And the phrase, in the name of the Lord, should be taken as meaning by the authority of the Lord, not as some kind of a formula of words. Any healing is due to the power and action of the Lord, not any human effort or any formula. People have a tendency to get caught up in trying to identify a formula. If we can just get the words right, the sequence, the selection, if we can just get the oil right, how is it applied, and so forth. But more important than oil is the function of the elders in prayer for the sick person that's made obvious in the next verse. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now the United Bible Society's handbook on translation provides this insight. It says the word prayer is not the usual word for prayer in the New Testament. This prayer represents a fervent wish or strong petition. Faith here means the faith of the elders, not the person who is sick. So, another way of expressing this is if the church leaders believe strongly in the power of God when they pray, then the sick will be saved. Now, the faith of the sick person is not altogether irrelevant because that person's faith is expressed and exercised in calling the elders. It says to say, will save the sick man. That word save can oftentimes in the New Testament refer to deliverance from sin and spiritual death but also can be applied to the restoration of physical health as well. And it says here, so there's no ambiguity, it's the Lord who will raise him up. Healing doesn't come from the oil, and it doesn't come from the elder, it comes from the Lord who does the healing. Now that then brings up the question, well, what happens when God does not heal the sick? Is it because there's a lack of faith, as some TV preachers would have us believe, or is it because there's some unconfessed sin? And the answer is that there can be, but not always. Consider, for instance, the Apostle Paul, who had the gift of healing. And yet he seemed unable to deliver his friend Epaphroditus from an illness that almost caused him death in Philippians. And in 2 Timothy, he wrote, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. So even though he had the gift of healing, he didn't always heal those in his presence god doesn't always heal as we would sometimes wish and i think that he may have learned that from his own experience that god can and does use sickness and affliction for god's purposes hmm, an interesting thought to leave you with
1: on today's edition of study verse by verse from church of the highlands in san bruno with pastor leighton shealy i'm mike trout thanks for joining us For this daily visit, uh, we've been in a series in the book of James and Pastor Layton is bringing this series to a conclusion over the next couple of days. If you've missed any of the programs in this series, you can find them on the web at studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. You can also join with us financially. You can help support this outreach here in the Bay Area. Information about Church of the Highlands is on their website at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Thank you for your prayer support and for sharing with your friends the fact that this program is on the air. We'll be back tomorrow at this same time with another edition as Pastor Leighton Sheely opens the Word of God and we study verse by verse.